This is No Love Live with Pastor Tim Warholic. Tim is the senior pastor of Paradise Calvary Chapel in Las Vegas, Nevada. If you need a Bible, please raise your hand so you can follow along with us. We're in 1 Peter this morning, starting a new series through the book of 1 Peter. Titled The series is titled Glorious Expectation. Glorious Expectation. So if you're a note taker, there's calendars in your seat backs in front of you that list all of the things that are going on at Paradise throughout the week and this month. But then also on the reverse side of that, on the back side, is a, is a place for you to be able to take notes. So if you want to follow along, um, then that is wonderful. Let's look at chapter 1, verse 1. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to the pilgrims of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Bithynia. Now, when we talk about expectations, what do you think? I think that I think when I speak of expectations, it's something that I'm looking forward to happening. In fact, this is why a lot of people struggle with life, because you expect your job to go a certain way. You expect your wife to do things you tell her to do, and you expect your kids to listen to you. That's sad, huh? The difference between expectation and hope is I think this. I don't know about you, but for me, when I hope something's going to happen, it's like I'm hoping, but I'm withdrawing myself from committing to knowing it's going to happen. There's a hope that it's going to happen, but there's not necessarily an expectation. It's a hope. Don't get me wrong. It's a hope. But the Bible talks in different terms. In fact, most of the places that you see the word hope in the Scripture, it's speaking of another way that that can be translated from the Greek or the Hebrew is expectation. And I want to tell you today, over the next eight or nine weeks, as we study through this series in First Peter, God wants you to have not only an expectation in him for today and tomorrow, but he wants you to have a glorious expectation. Not a great expectation, not a wonderful expectation, not a good expectation, a glorious expectation. In our introduction to 1 Peter this morning and the first handful of verses really sets the stage for this theme that we're going to see throughout the whole book of this divine, godly, glorious expectation God wants you to have. And I can't think of another message or another word from the Lord that is more timely than that right now for us. Not just for Paradise Calvary Chapel, not just for Las Vegas, but for the United States of America and the world. I'll tell you what people are expecting. They're expecting the worst. But I'll tell you what God wants you to expect. He wants you to hope and expect in Him. 
for glorious things and good things. That's what his intentions are for you. Before we jump into that first verse, let's go ahead and go to the Lord in prayer. God, we hear what your word says. We know that it's living and active, and we want to apply it to our lives. Please sow it into our hearts this morning onto good soil, that it would produce fruit, Lord, and that that fruit would be to your glory Because we know, according to your word and what you have taught us, that we should have great expectations in you. We should have glorious expectations for tomorrow because of who you are. You are not only good, you are good, good. Our good, good father taking care of us. We don't want the world to influence us in any capacity. We much prefer the influence and power of your Holy Spirit that our hope, trust, and expectation would be in you. Just like Charles said, Lord, thank you so much for our worship team, for that time of worship. We don't want it to just be singing songs and repeating lyrics, but we want our perspective to be us offering you the fruit of our lips, praise and adoration. The same, Lord, we ask for this time in the study of your word, that it would be us submitting to you, to your word, applying it to our lives again for your glory and expecting that. And Father, we pray that you would bless the tithes and offerings that are made to you and hopefully with whole hearts intending to be gifts and a form of worship to you. So bless your word, Father, we pray. We love you and we say these things in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Peter was pretty well known, would you say? He was somewhat of a loud mouth. In fact, um, I've shared with you before, my favorite apostle is the apostle John because of his level of intimacy with the Lord. I think that that would just be an incredible kind of relationship to have with Jesus, to just know that I'm beloved by him and to just hang out with him. It's great. Peter uh, was known for his willingness to express to Jesus how he really felt. How many of you can identify with that? Lord. (laughs) Apart from Jesus, Peter is the most quoted person in the uh, gospel accounts. So Jesus is the most, but Peter is the second. He's always talking. Peter is recorded as the only one who confronted Jesus to his face. Hey, Jesus, what are you thinking? You're not going to go and die on the cross, you silly head. That's not what God's will is for you. Get behind me, Satan, for you are not mindful of the things of God, but the things of man. Peter, I think we can identify with. And Peter, looking at this epistle of 1 Peter, is speaking to a people who are in a difficult circumstance. 
Let's look at the first verse again. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to the pilgrims of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. Now, what we have here in this first verse is three things that I want to highlight for you this morning. If you're taking notes, let's consider these three things together. We have three positions or peoples that are addressed. And maybe you might say, you know, Tim, the third one's a bit of a stretch, but I don't think so. Let's look at it, okay? Number one, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ. The definition of apostle I have for you is one sent forth, apostello, from to seed, a sojourner that is sowing seed and has a calling that they're fulfilling that calling. Peter never questions his apostleship. Paul, maybe he didn't question it, but other people did, and he had to defend his apostleship. Nobody ever questions Peter's apostleship, and he never has to defend himself. He says, I am called and sent out by God. This is the first position. The second position is uh, to the pilgrims of the dispersion. I also have for you Psalm 84, verse 5. Blessed is the man whose strength is in you, whose heart is set on pilgrimage. This idea of pilgrimage is somebody who's not looking to settle down, to get comfortable, to say, this is my home. And the Bible speaks in very positive light throughout the scripture, Old Testament and New, about pilgrims. You and I are supposed to identify as pilgrims because we're not supposed to make this earth our home and get comfortable on this earth, but we are looking at passing through, sowing seeds, and going to our eternal habitation. So we have a pilgrim who understands where they're at. They understand where they're going, that it's temporary, and they're engaging God in the process as they're going. Now, the third one we see here, he addresses the pilgrims, but he also identifies them as part of the dispersion. And I would say to you that I think that there's maybe two kinds of people in the dispersion. There are pilgrims who know that they're traveling, who know that it's not their home, that are progressing through life with that understanding. And there's people that are part of the dispersion that are really, as far as I would identify them, victims of circumstance. You know what that means? It means that, yeah, they're, they're dispersed. They're pushed out. It's against their will. They don't understand it. They wouldn't leave unless they were have to. And they find themselves in these circumstances and then they're kind of going through life just uh, forced to do things. And I would say, with the heart of 1 Peter, and as we're going into this study, talking about hope and talking about our place and position on earth that God has us in right now, which one of those do you identify most with? Bring in the application early. I apologize. But are you, I'm not going to call you an apostle because that would be kind of weird. But do you identify with somebody who has received a calling by God, an apostleship that you were being obedient to, that you were engaging in God with, and you've been sent out, you've been called by God, and you're willing and able to say, yes, this is my calling, this is my position, and this is what I'm doing, like Peter did. 
Because that's okay to say, hey, I know that this is my gift set. I know that this is my calling. I know that this is what God has for me. And I'm fully engaging him through that process. Do you identify more as a pilgrim? Or you get it. You get that you're a sojourner. You get that this isn't your home. You understand that, that you're part of the process that God is taking you through. And you're sowing seed where you might or where you can. But maybe, let's just say for the sake of argument, maybe you're not engaging the same degree as apostleship. You know, intentional, God has sent me here for this purpose, for this task. You're a pilgrim, you get it. But maybe, and, and hopefully not, but it's okay. I'm not here to beat you over the head this morning yet. You identify more as just one of those who find yourself in pressing circumstances. It's outside of your control. There isn't really much you can do about it. You're not super happy about it. There's been persecution against you. You find yourself in different places that you'd rather not be, and you still identify as a Christian. You identify with wanting to know who the Lord is and, and having him help you in that process through your life. But, but you're not really sowing seeds like the pilgrim and you're not embracing the calling like the apostle. These are the three positions that I want you to introspectively think about and how it applies to you as we continue through the scripture. Verse two, verse three, verse four and five leads us up to this presentation of the heart of glorious expectation that Peter's going to be talking to us about. So let's look at verse 2. It gets even better. Whatever you identify as, whether it's apostleship, whether it's pilgrimage, or just part of the dispersion, look at verse 2. Elect, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, in sanctification of the Spirit for obedience and the sprinkling of blood in Jesus Christ. Now, it does get better. That first word really seals the deal, doesn't it? What is it? Elect. Thank you. You guys with me this morning? We're, we're interactive. Say elect. elect. Yeah, better. Elect according to the foreknowledge of God. I love this idea of the foreknowledge of God. Let's not overthink it. Let's not over-theologize about it. God knows beforehand what's going to happen because he's removed from time. You're in a linear time-space continuum. God is not. And as much as it's difficult for us to understand that, we see what happens today. We see what happened yesterday. We have hopes of what happens tomorrow. But God is withdrawn. He's looking down on the big picture. He says, it sees the day that you were born and the day that you go be with him. And God, in that understanding and knowledge, has a foreknowledge about you. Therefore, he saw you and he chose you for himself. Let's look at the second one. Elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father in sanctification of the Spirit for obedience and sprinkling of blood of Jesus Christ. So we have three things. We have foreknowledge, sanctification, and obedience. What are those three things that you just read in your Bibles? What are those three, three things connected to? Let's call them a Trinity idea. 
Who are the three persons represented in the knowledge, foreknowledge, sanctification, and obedience? The Father in his foreknowledge, the sanctification of the what? Spirit. And the obedience of who? Jesus. You see, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are engaged with you in your calling. And what we see, three other things there, if you want to identify, which is what I did. What does the Father's foreknowledge represent? The past. What does the Spirit's sanctification in your life represent right now? Today. Yes, sanctification happened before, but sanctification is a process that we go through on a daily basis, and it's good. What does the obedience of, this, of Jesus Christ uh, speak of for us today? It speaks of the future. The decisions that I make. See, being obedient isn't necessarily the past. It maybe can be the present, but it's really a looking forward to an intentionality about tomorrow. See, if I choose today to be obedient unto the Lord, then when I wake up tomorrow, I'm going to be looking forward to making those decisions again. I love, love, love this idea of obedience to God. It's kind of like that verse that you guys know. Um, take every thought captive. You guys know that, that verse? Take every thought captive to what? To the obedience of Christ Jesus. Jesus Christ demonstrated his servanthood capacity to the degree that he said, Father, no matter what you want me to do, I will do it. And he says to the Sadducees and, and Pharisees, I only do and say what my father tells me to do and to say. And he says, he says, Father, if there's any way for this cup to pass from me, please let it be. But not my will, your will be done. You are engaging God in the process of life that you're going through right now. You understand that he knows your past. He still chose you. He's sanctifying you today. And his desire for you is obedience for tomorrow, today and tomorrow. So I don't think you can get away with not being obedient today. It starts with today. Obedience for tomorrow. This is his desire for you. And he's covered all the bases, past, present, and future. And he wants you to identify as somebody who understands and sees the calling that he's placed on your life. And then this last part of the verse, how good is this? Grace to you and peace be multiplied. There's a calling that you've received. Engage in that calling God knows you from before, now into the future, and grace and peace be multiplied unto you. Who needs some grace today? Only a couple people. Who needs some peace? Oh, I'd like some peace. That's good. That's good. And I'm so thankful that Peter is intentional in his verbiage, his wordage. He, he does not say, uh, grace and peace be added unto you, which would be totally understandable. That's fine, you know, add unto you grace and peace. He says, grace and peace be multiplied unto you. Because addition is adding, but multiplication is abundance. 
You take any number and you multiply it and you're going to end up with way more than addition. And God, I pray for your church that you would multiply grace upon them, that you would multiply peace upon them. And this is what would mark your church as different. You've received a calling, past, present, and future, grace and peace be multiplied to you. Let's look at verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Now you guessed it. This is the heart of today's message. The title is Living Hope, and this is the focus. The next three weeks, we're going to be looking at three different descriptions of the hope that God wants you to have. The first one we see here is this living hope. It's not a dead hope. It's not a temporary hope. It's It's an extended hope that he wants you to engage in. It's this living hope. So blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. You guys know what the word blessed can also be translated into English? What does the word blessed mean? Happy. Happy. Happy is God the Father of your Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope. You know what makes God happy? Do you know what makes God blessed? The fact that he can be merciful to you and he has a plan for you and it's for a living hope. You see, when doubt creeps into your life, when fear creeps into your life, when judgment creeps into your life, it's the opposite of the things that make God happy about you. God wants you to be blessed. He wants you to be happy. He wants to be happy by knowing that you are happy because of his mercy. You guys know what mercy is though, right? not receiving what you do deserve because of his mercy. He's begotten you. He has gotten you to a living hope. And we have this idea of hope. Hope, we say hope. And like I mentioned earlier, there's a a hopefulness, but it really needs to be exchanged with today with an expectation of who God is, a living expectation. And it's not just an ordinary expectation. Say ordinary expectation. It's not an ordinary expectation. It's a glorious expectation that he wants you to have. In fact, when is the time, think about this, when do you need hope the most? When? When you are the most hopeless. It's in the darkest times, the most difficult times, that you call out, cry out to God for hope. I need hope, God. I want to have expectation in you. In fact, this is demonstrated also throughout Scripture. If I was going to ask you, Bible students and scholars, what book in the Bible, in the Old Testament, is the idea of hope most represented the earliest on? And you'd say, dude, how'd you know that? And you'd say, well, I don't know that, except for Ricky, he knows. And you say, I don't know that. You know, maybe there's a lot of Old Testament books, but if we look at it, uh, Job, the, one of the darkest, difficult things to read a guy going through, like he's so suffering. 
Somebody told you from first service, didn't they? All right. Dude, you nailed it. I know, I know. I'm just glad people listen. When things are the most difficult, when things are the most trying, when when you're going through the, the hardest parts of life, God wants you to have expectation and hope in him. When everybody else has turned away, because you might go through times in life where you feel alone, but listen to this. If everybody else has turned away from you, God will never leave you or forsake you. When your own wife says to you, curse God and die. As Job is taking the pot shirt, a piece of pottery, and scraping the boils off of his body. He says, shall we not accept good and also adversity from him? Hope, hope. Hope in God. Job speaks of hope in the book of Job 16 times. Second to one other place in the book of Psalms, which is also understandable. David and the other psalmists write about hope 25 times. They need to come back to this place of expectation in God. And it's so easy for us to redirect our focus to expectation and hope in people or systems than in God. But God is the one who says, I want you to hope in me. God is the one that says, I want you to expect in me. I want you to expect good things from me. This is my heart for you. You've received a calling. I know you past, present, and future. And my heart for you is a living hope and expectation. And if we are not living in that expectation in God, then the devil is ripping us off. And the whole book of 1 Peter that we're going to look at ties back to this, uh, this concept, this idea of expecting in God. And it talks about careers and it talks about marriages and relationships. And it's all so very well connected to whether we're going to expect in people or whether we're going to expect in God. And not only does God want you to have good expectations, he wants you to have glorious expectations. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. The one thing that really uh, induces complete hopelessness, death. Jesus Christ overcame to really demonstrate what hope should look like and what his intentions are for us in regards to hope. Let's look at verse 4 and 5. Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled. Can you say inheritance with me? You guys know what inheritance is? Inheritance is something good. An inheritance, there, there, there is, if there's one word that we can connect to expectation, inheritance, yes. 
And we all hope and pray for that distant uncle who we didn't know, but he was a hedge fund manager and we're related somehow and we inherit part of that. And there's this, you know, if it happens, there's an expectation of something coming, an inheritance. I, interestingly enough, had a great uncle who was said to have a lot of money. And he held this power over people in his family. Hey, if you do this, you'll receive more of my inheritance. If you don't do this, you'll receive less of my inheritance. And everybody was worried about how much of an inheritance they were going to receive from him. Do you know what kind of inheritance that was? Corruptible. It was corrupted. It was defiled. It wasn't in genuineness of relationship and love and compassion. But the Father's inheritance for you is incorruptible. It's undefiled. In fact, looking at this inheritance that he wants you to experience, think of the title of our series, Glorious Expectation, what God has intended in his inheritance for you. And then we're going to look at four things that his inheritance is. If you're taking notes, you can write down these four things of what you can expect to receive from God as part of your inheritance from him. Number one, it is incorruptible and undefiled. Number two, and and that does not fade away. Number two is it's not fading. It's lasting. It's perpetual. It's eternal. Now, I did receive an inheritance from that great uncle. And I bought my lovely wife, Gracie, some new uh, living room furniture with it. But do you know how long that inheritance lasted? About 15 minutes. That money was spent before it showed up in my bank account. God's inheritance for you, and it was a good chunk of money. I think it was like 15 grand or something like that. It was a good chunk of money. God's inheritance for you is lasting. It's not fading away. And it's not something that you think that you're going to receive and consume. It's something that is going to be perpetual into all of eternity. That should invoke hope in you. That invokes a good expectation in God. Not because I deserve it, or I should have it, but because God is good and he's called me from before to now into the future. And this is what my expectation can be engaging with him in this process of life. A perpetual inheritance. To an inheritance incorruptible, undefiled, that does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you. I don't know about you guys. But I, and maybe there's something wrong with me, but there's something inside of me when I go into a restaurant and I see a reserved sign on a table that just makes me a little jealous. You know, like that table is, is meant for somebody and it's not me. And for, for our anniversary, uh, my wife and I went to a restaurant and, and you walk into the restaurant and it's really hard to get a table there. 
and we're, we're, we're being seated. But there's these tables right on this window overlooking the, the waterfront. And, and it, they're full. And I'm like, hey, how do you get one of those tables? They're like, oh, I And another restaurant, we walked in, and, and it's all empty. And I walk up to the hostess, and I'm like, hey, we would like a table. It also was a, was a more well-known restaurant. And, and I said, we'd, we'd like a table for tonight. And she said, sorry, we're fully booked. And I said, excuse me? I see a lot of empty tables here. And she said, yeah, they're all reserved for people intentionally by the owner who are coming to have dinner here tonight. And you are not one of those people. She didn't say this to me, but you know, I'm overdramatic. You are not one of those people, you weird little man. That's what she said to me. Can you believe that? No, she didn't. She said, if we give you one of those tables, then it's not going to be available for when the person who reserved it to come. And I'm like, oh, man. She said, you can sit up there, though, you know. Those are not reservable. They weren't as good as your own table. And I thought to myself, man, I wish that I had a table set aside for me. You know that God has a table set aside for you in heaven. And it doesn't just say reserved. It has your name on it. And he says, this place I have destined before time began for you. Isn't that cool? That is a glorious expectation because I like food a lot. And, and I love when Jesus talks about feasting with us. And I love the fact that maybe you're saying, dude, you're taking this way too far, but I'm not in my mind that Jesus has a table set at the marriage supper of the lamb and my name is on one of those seats and I'm going to sit down and party with him because his inheritance is incorruptible and is reserved for me to engage him at that time. Is that a good expectation? Nah. Is it a great expectation? Maybe. It's a glorious expectation. And that is what God wants you to understand. He wants you to understand that he does have good things for you, even in the midst of severe persecution. We have to bring this full circle, right, church? First Peter is written to a people who are being severely persecuted. Some of them are on the run. Some of them are called and sent out. Some of them are pilgrims sowing seed where they go. Some of them are just part of the dispersion. And why is this happening to us? But hope is found when we are in the place of most hopelessness. And the reminder is that we need to have glorious expectations in God our Father through our Lord Jesus Christ. Next week, I can't even contain myself because verse six is, I've been thinking about this verse for the last six months. It's what inspired uh, this whole um, series through First Peter. Don't read ahead. Well, you can because it's the Bible. God wants you to have a glorious expectation, whether you're fulfilling your calling fully in the way that you know that you should or whether you're struggling in this season of persecution right now or difficulty. God wants you to have great expectations in him for what he has for you. So we've gone through three. There's an incorruptible and undefiled. 
inheritance. That's your glorious expectation. There's a lasting, perpetual, eternal part of your inheritance. That's a glorious expectation. It's reserved for you. And then the last part right here, undefiled, and that does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you, who are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. What's the fourth point? That it's kept for you. It's secured. You are kept. And, and, and read that verse again before I ask you this question real quick. Da, 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 da. How are you kept? Through faith and the power of God. The power of God keeps you secure in this inheritance that your great uncle can't be wishy-washy about in corruption to manipulate people into doing what he wants you to do. No, God is incorruptible. His intentions towards you are pure. And even in the most severe difficulty and trial and tribulation, this place, the inheritance and your faith is kept for you for all of eternity. It's so hard. You kind of get a disconnect when we talk about eternity sometimes. What's eternity? Just being removed from time and being in that place where we're finally able to receive the fullness of God's good intentions toward us. Man, I can't, I can't really wrap my head around it. An eternity of God pouring out his good intentions for me. And then you think about expectations. Think about the forefathers. Think about Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Think about Abraham. Hebrews 11 tells us that he uh, was a sojourner, right? He was expecting good things from God. He was going to and fro on the earth, looking for a city or a place whose founder and building was God. And, and though he saw the promises afar off, he never inherited them. But his faith pointed him to the future, not only the Messiah coming, but the fulfillment of those promises of God for all of eternity. And as much as God wants you to inherit and experience his blessings and promises today, he wants you to today. He wants us to have that glorious hope and expectation that he's going to do it to even a degree that your mind can't comprehend what's going to happen tomorrow, what's going to happen in the future. So what do you do? You trust God. When the times are hard, you, you believe in his word. You say, God, I know that you have a glorious expectation for me, and I want to fully engage in that process with you. I have this, uh, thinking about this and going through this, I have this word came to mind, this, this sentence as a word to leave you guys with this morning. If you want to jot it down, think about it. Hope is God's prescribed medicine administered by faith. Hope is God's prescribed medicine administered by faith. What does that mean? If hope is a medicine, then it has to be applied. And I know too many Christians who are not living in hope and expectation of God. So there's no healing balm being applied and they're living under the lie of the enemy, fear, doubt, and denial. But hope is God's medicine to be applied. 
so that we can have this great expectation in him that he's going to fulfill what he says his purposes are for us. I want to leave you with this last thought. I want to ask you, you don't have to answer out loud, just think in, in your brain and jot it down if you like. What type of person from those three that we began with, what type of person are you? Are you an apostle in the sense that you are somebody who was sent out? That you identify your calling from God, that you identify the the purposes that God has for you. You've engaged him in that and you say, I've been sent out and and, and I want to engage fully in the process with God. Do you identify as a pilgrim where, you know, you are a believer, you're engaging God in the process and you find yourself wherever you go sowing seed, but maybe not to the same degree as somebody who's intentionally set out. And you find yourself identifying more as part of the dispersion. You're still a believer, but you find yourself hard-pressed and in difficult tribulation, you find yourself questioning why things are happening because this is why you're questioning why things are happening because there's not an expectation in God. We're going to look at that next week. But if you were truly expecting intentionally a glorious expectation from God, you wouldn't have these doubts and fears as part of the dispersion because God is working in the big picture and we have to fully agree and embrace the process that he's taking us through. Which one of those do you identify with? One who's sent out, one who's a pilgrim sowing seed or one who's hard pressed? Whatever one it is, I'd like to give you some good news. There's change that can happen. You can change your position. It takes a process of prayer and submission to God, obedience, as we saw. But also, um, whether you're, whichever one you identify with, God knows your past, present, and your future. He, he knows where you're at. His desire is that you'd cry out to him and say, hey, this is the position I'm in. Thank you. Or, hey, this is the position I'm in. I want to I view it differently. And whatever you identify as, whether it's past, present, or future that you're, you're, you're dwelling on, you have to come to the conclusion this morning in our, our, our first study you have to come to the conclusion that it's necessary. God, God's desire, it blesses him. It makes him happy for you to have a glorious expectation in him. A hope. A hope that goes beyond hope. A hope that's an expectation in his character and his person and his place in your life. Lastly, I wanted to share with you one of my favorite verses. I've, I've turned to this verse so many times over the years. My favorite verse on hope, Psalm 42, 11. Why are you cast down, O my soul? Have you ever rebuked your own soul before? Why are you cast down, soul, you little bummer? Stop being a bummer. Why are you cast down, O my soul? Why are you disquieted within me? Hope in God, for I shall yet praise him, the help of my countenance and my God. 
Don't let your, don't let your soul take you down. Expect in God. Hope in God. And he says, I love that, the help of my countenance. I don't know about you, but I, when I'm in a bad mood, it's hard for me to hide it. My countenance needs some help, Lord. I rebuke my soul. I'm hoping, I'm expecting in you. You are good. You are the help of my countenance. And then the perspective changes. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word this morning. We thank you for giving us this glorious expectation, this blessed hope and assurance. And we ask, Lord, that, that you continue it through today and this week, that you would be blessed, that you would be happy at our receiving your mercy and grace and peace and our desire to submit to you in this process of life with an underlying, undergirding, glorious expectation for what you have for us tomorrow, for what you have for us today. We know that we can only expect good things from you, our good, good Father. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I want to ask you guys a question. We don't do this every week, but I feel like the Lord leading us into it. With everybody still in an attitude of prayer with your eyes closed and your heads bowed, if you need an extra dose of hope, you need to place expectation in God. You may not have been. You may be hard-pressed as part of the dispersion. If that's you this morning, I want to pray for you. And I know God wants to touch your heart and give you that hope that you so need, even in a time of possibly feeling hopeless. So raise your hand for me. Hi, if that's you, so I can pray with you. I see your guys' hands. Father, I pray for these, my brothers and sisters, who in honesty have expressed to you this morning that they need a great, glorious expectation in you that our hope is in you. It's not in <clears throat> our careers. It's not in our relationships. It's not in our bank accounts. It's not in our possessions. It's in your inheritance through the blood of our Savior, Jesus Christ, that we take and embrace and we put to practice today and this week in our lives. Thank you for this glorious hope that we have be blessed by their hearts to submit to you and receive the good things that you have for them. Father, we pray in Jesus name. Amen.